0: This time on the Rule Right Radio podcast with New York Mike. I like Elon Musk a lot. I think he's just a great American. But Tesla has some bad habits that I really don't like. And I want to talk about. I know friends, people who are close to me who've gone down, test rode a Tesla, put down a deposit, because you you got to wait months. They're not available. Now, I sold Harley Davidsons for 27 years. Harley Davidson motorcycles, great. And I remember back in the 90s, you couldn't get one. You had to put down a deposit, and you ordered it. And we kept track. We had records of each and every one. Someone gave us a $500 deposit, $1,000 deposit, whatever it was. When that motorcycle came in, they got that motorcycle. If in the interim they changed their mind, they got their money back. We can't keep a deposit. I don't think it's legal. I don't think it's moral for sure. It's unprincipled. It's immoral. And I doubt seriously if it's legal. I really do. Now, if you sign a contract, these contracts are worthy. And in the contract, someplace, it says your deposit is non-refundable. Well, so what? It's one thing if you put down money on a car and the car comes in and it's made special for you. And then it gets there and you say, well, I don't want it. And, and the deal is stuck with it. And he can't sell it for a month or two months. Don't forget, he has to buy it or she has to buy it, pay for it that was my business. The motorcycle comes in, it's it's it gets there, you pay for it. You know, you pay interest on it. If if you don't have to come up with the cash until you sell it, you're still paying interest on it. But you can't just keep a deposit, especially when the demand outstrips the supply. And that's what's going on with Tesla, and they're keeping those deposits. And it's wrong. It's wrong. And it says to me, there's probably a deeper problem here. He wears black denim trousers and motorcycle boots and a black leather jacket with his name on the back. He does a patriotic podcast called Roll Right Radio. His name is New York Mike and welcome to the show. This is Roll Right Radio on New York Mike. The last Roll Right Radio podcast of the year. It's here, guys. We've been waiting for 2022. We have great expectations, and I think justifiably so. But first, I want to thank everybody for a great 2021 in so many ways. Now, look, it was a tough year. It was a tough year for all of us. I know that. And I've repeated all the gory details of what's going on and all that. But for Roll Right Radio, for this podcast, we've had some things to to really be thankful for. Have we accomplished everything we wanted to? No. Are we still working on, on improvements and getting better and doing things? Absolutely. And I want to thank all of you out there. Subscribers can't thank you enough. All the people that have commented and brought in friends top of the list, I've got to thank my wife, Petrina, for being such a great supporter and helping out and doing everything she's done in spite of all the other things that she has to do. It's been great. Hey, Robert Patrick, my dear and wonderful friend Robert Patrick has been a godsend in so many ways over the years. It's just been great. But for this podcast, when we traveled from here to Boston and all around the country and down to Dallas, every place we went, I mean, all the time, he's been supportive from the very beginning, listens to the podcast, gives me insight and criticisms and just as constructive as can be. And has also gone out and promoted Roll Right Radio. I can't, Thank you enough, Robert. And Ed Hill, Podstars, podcast production company. And if I'm leaving anybody out, I definitely apologize. But I'm very grateful to all the help, all the support. Have we fallen short on some of the things that we wanted to do? We have in some ways. I do this on the road most of the time. Yeah, we have a studio at home, and and it's great when Katrina can get out the computer and set up the microphones and all that, but for the most part, I'm in different places and traveling around the country or just being here. And by the way, here is Excalibur Cigar and Scotch Lounge, and I I need to definitely thank the people here. Tom, the owner here, fantastic, supportive in so many ways, the staff, Freddie, Rosita, just thank you all. They're great hosts. And everybody here appreciates that. And that's where I'm coming from right now. Yep. The last podcast of the year is coming from the same place as the first podcast of the year and, and the first podcast we ever did back in 2020. So here we are and looking forward to a great new year. Seriously, we have every reason. Why wouldn't we be optimistic? Why wouldn't we be excited? About this year, we've been talking about 2022. I know we have an election coming up this year. It's going to be monumental, epic, (laughs) epic. But we have a lot of work to do. We're still looking back at the year end and some of the things that have gone on. And is the election going to solve all the issues? We have a lot of them. I don't know what the top issue is, but certainly an issue that everybody can be behind, Democrat, Republican, every American needs to be concerned about the deficit. Maybe it's not at the top of the list. It's gotta be somewhere closer to the top than we seem to understand. People seem to be sweeping it under the rug. We were all crazy about this growing deficit in the Obama years. That was like scary. And then in the Trump years, yeah, I know. We're Republicans. I think the money was spent in the right place. Certainly, defense budget needed. Certainly, when Trump came in, the Department of Defense was just lagging everything from the VA to our readiness, troop readiness, weaponry, everything. And at this point, we're starting to fall behind now. I mean, Trump was great in building our military and supporting our military. And sometimes you got to look at it and say, well, if we got to spend money. We got to borrow it to spend it. We got to do it. Where are the places that are critical? We should be doing an audit on all our spending, including the Department of Defense. How much money was wasted? How much money was thrown away? Beyond $88 billion of weapons and equipment that we left behind in Afghanistan in that debacle. But beyond that, how much was wasted? How much was... Stolen, just, we need to do a national audit. This is not political. This should be something supported by both parties and everybody who votes. Our deficit is hitting $30 trillion. That's taxpayer money. And at a time with a growing inflation, when we're about to see interest rates rise, this is something we have to think about. So, what else are the, are the big issues? The Afghanistan retreat, the debacle in Afghanistan. We can't keep allowing this administration to sweep it under the rug. It's got to be front and center. We've got to be talking about it. It's got to be fixed. We can't allow the world to look at this as if this is how we're going to abandon allies. For 20 years, we did the right thing. We kept terrorism at bay. It wasn't until the last couple of months what Biden did was horrible. It's all in the past. Now we've got to fix it. Inflation has got to stop. We've got to look at the causes of inflation. Stop in the Keystone Pipeline and, and oil and gas drilling. Let's talk about it more. Let's talk about the importance why can't we fix it? Aren't there Democrats that realize that fossil fuel isn't the enemy? We've got to get back in there. Inflation is horrible. And I'm sure there's other culprits besides oil and gas drilling. And, but that's the crux of it. Let's get in there and do what we can. COVID. I, I think most of us feel like we're starting to learn to live with COVID. That's fine. We have vaccines. Let's get this government on track. Obviously, the government can't do anything. 480,000 American deaths this year. Yeah, last year was 350,000. That was horrible. You heard the media talk about it every day. How many people has Trump killed every year? That's the way they did Biden's in office, and it's like it's up by huge numbers. And yet, the media just... Says it's because of the unvaxed. Come on. The vaccine was great. But it wasn't the panacea to fix the pandemic. It just wasn't. It was a great start. Thank God for Operation Warp Speed, for Donald Trump and everything he did. But now we look and we see what Fauci is doing up and back Yeah, Mass, no mask, this, that. Don't have anybody at your house for Thanksgiving. Don't celebrate Christmas. Don't go outside, inside. We're not getting good guidance, but there are doctors out there. I, I, I listened to Sean Avery. He's had the doctors on from Canada talking about it. One are the real pitfalls of taking this vaccine, and in, including the booster Show what are the problems, why are so many people not doing it? we got to fix it. If it works, let's encourage everybody to get it. If there are pitfalls, let's expose them and talk about them. Let's not just make criminals out of people. Who refuse to get a vaccine or a booster shot? Maybe they have good reason. What are we talking about the natural immunities, the immunity that people get when they have COVID? And so many people have had it. We can go on and on. Let's talk about infrastructure. Infrastructure is important. I don't think that bill should have been signed. I think Kevin McCarthy, I like him. I like the policies that he champions. I agree with him. But I'm sorry, when 13 Republicans vote for an infrastructure bill that was the foundation of passing the BBBB BB bill, the bad build back better bill, hor- horrible legislation. But it couldn't have got to where it is without the infrastructure bill. We could have held on. We could pass it later, or we could have negotiated it. I think 9 or 10% of the money going to the infrastructure bill, trillion, $1.2 trillion Dollars, 10% actually went to infrastructure? You can't negotiate that one better and hold on to it? I talk to politicians, people that make their living in this industry. I talk to quite a few of them quite a bit. The Republicans tell me, look, Mike, these people that voted for it are in districts where they need the infrastructure. Yeah, but the, the leadership needed to keep them focused on negotiating a better infrastructure bill because we needed a better infrastructure bill. So let's see what happens if we can continue to stave off the ridiculous, especially in the face of the deficit I'm talking about, to add what looks like it could be, according to the OMB, the Office of Management and Budget, almost $5 trillion, even it's $3 trillion dollars. It's way too much. And now the Democrats are saying they're going to take little chunks of it and have Biden pass it with executive orders. I mean, that's just not right. So there's a big fight coming up, and we need to get from here to the elections, and get a lot done. That's our job. Us, the individual citizens that care about this stuff. And what about legitimate voting? Not this Democrat voting rights bill. You're, you're, you're going to cheapen it. You're going to cheapen voting with, like the last election. Everybody can vote. Anybody can vote. I mean, they're even having non-citizens vote in places like New York City. It's going to catch on if we allow it. We've got to stop it in its track and make sure everybody who votes shows an ID. And if you're going to do a mail-in voting, you, you need to have a good reason. Look, I've had mail-in voting when I was in the military. I mailed in the vote. There's a lot of good reasons for mail-in voting, but it's got to be legitimate. Each vote has to have a citizen that's identified as such behind that vote. You can't just accept that votes that can be manipulated with this huge mail-in thing, and the vote harvesting, and these things just have to stop. So let's talk about that and focus on that this year. Big deals coming up the cancel culture, censorship. We need freedom of speech in this country. That's the First Amendment we need to focus on, the Second Amendment, and abortion issues. We need to focus on these things. These aren't going away. These are battles that we have to fight. We're not in the strongest position we could be in. So we have a left wing. They have a presidency that they're using. They're the puppet masters, and Biden-Harris, those are the puppets. So let's make sure that those of us who vote for Republicans hold the Republicans' feet to the fire. Make sure that we let Kevin McCarthy know he's got to step up. He's got to be a tougher leader than he's been. He's a good politician. I just don't see him being the Speaker of the House if this is how he's going to lead. He's got to be strong. He's got to be willing to be unpopular sometimes and go against the grain. So these are just some of the issues. What about crime? Crime! That's a huge factor going forward. What's happened in this country, even if you just want to go back to George Floyd, everybody agrees that cop was guilty of murder. I don't know anyone that saw that trial, and even before the trial, that ever thought for a a minute that holding your knee on a person's neck criminal, not criminal. He's handcuffed. He's on the ground. You got two, three cops supporting you right there. And you can't get him into the SUV. You can't get him arrested and and off the street. You got to keep your knee on his neck for over nine minutes. But remember, this man was a criminal. This man was resisting arrest in, in every way he could. Yes. They should have got him in the back of the SUV and done their job. He's a criminal. We allowed him to become a martyr for all criminals. They built statues. They paint his picture on murals. His family got millions of dollars. He was a criminal. Let's try to get back to some sense of reality. And they talk about proportionate. It's not proportional to, to take a criminal and make him into a hero. He never was and he never should be. He's a victim. Yes, what happened to him was horrible, uncalled for, but he's not a hero. They treat him like he was Martin Luther King. This is ridiculous. This is an insult to the real hero of the civil rights movement in this country. And this is where we've come to. It's just not right. Let's talk about energy. How important is this issue going forward in the first place? It has such an effect on the inflation that's killing this country, hurting everybody, especially middle-income people, lower-income people, for sure, and middle-income people. The majority of the country, I don't know how many people are insulated. How many people have enough money that they could be cavalier about the, the inflation of, you know, milk, eggs, butter, and even going to the gas station? I don't know what that number is, but it's a A tiny percentage, I'll guarantee you, a tiny percentage of America, the vast, overwhelming majority of us are paying a big price because this energy issue. Why not embrace nuclear energy? Nuclear energy. I mean, Chernobyl, you're going to throw that in our face forever? We need nuclear energy. It's clean. It's reliable. It's tremendous. We're just ignoring the fact that we can have that. Electric vehicles and those things are important, and they seem to be great to drive. Whether you're riding the motorcycle, I loved riding that Harley-Davidson electric vehicle. That EV was fantastic. And now Harley's made it into a separate company, and they're doing all that. I get it. I'll get into that at some point. I get it, and I like it. It's got to be improved. The battery Has to last longer. The charging has to be a lot shorter. A long way to go, but we should be moving in that direction. But not just doing everything, getting everybody into electric cars right away. Boom! I mean, you don't do that by making it that more difficult to drive gasoline-powered vehicle, car, motorcycle, whatever. That doesn't help advance the electric vehicle. We need more efficient ways to get rid of these batteries. That's an issue. They talk about, oh, nuclear waste is going to be a big problem. Yeah, it's a problem. We'll solve that problem. We'll also solve the battery problem. But until we get a little closer and we see the progress, should we be promoting electric vehicles as if they're the be-all end-all? Give us state certs. Oh yeah, by 2030 or 35 or whatever, all the cars and trucks out there will be electric. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe... In the next five years, by 2028 or something, we'll be a lot closer to a place where that'll take us. But right now, I don't think it's time to do that. Fossil fuels are here, and they're good and reliable. They've been with us a long time. We see that we can develop clean energy. Let's do it. So these are things that going into 2022, it's up to us. Congress is pretty set. They've got a very small majority in the House, 50 50 in the Senate, with the swing vote being Kamala Harris. (laughs) I'm sorry, I got to laugh, but we could beat that. We can hold them off. There's enough Democrat members of Congress. There has to be. I've got to believe it's not Joe Manchin and, and Kristen Sinema, there's others. That's just in the Senate. And there's got to be those members of the House they recognize we all want the same thing, but not a green new deal. It just doesn't work. So let's get together this year and let's remember that we have a job to do. Voting the end of the day, that's huge. And like I said over the Christmas podcast, Katrina's mom, she writes letters to members of Congress. She writes letters and she gets her friends to write letters. If each of us did that, it would just be overwhelming. And yes, they listen. Democrats do listen to constituents just like Republicans do. You don't have to write them and identify yourself as a Republican. or I mean, You're a citizen. No, they didn't get elected to just be the representative of the people who voted for them. They got elected to represent everyone in whatever area they're in. They represent you, whether they're Democrat or Republican. Don't forget that. Write, call, email. Let's do what we have to do so they know. Let them feel it. That's our job. We can do that in this country. That's what makes this country so great. We are a free country. I want to say something about something else. With now, this isn't about electric vehicles per se. I like Elon Musk a lot. I think he's Just a great American, but Tesla has some bad habits that I really don't like, and I want to talk about. I know friends, people who are close to me, who've gone down Tesoro to Tesla, put down a deposit because you got to wait months; they're not available. Now I sold Harley Davidsons for twenty-seven years. Harley Davidson motorcycles, great, and I remember back in the nineties, you couldn't get one. You had to put down a deposit. And you ordered it. And we kept track. We had records of each and every one. Someone gave us a $500 deposit, $1,000 deposit, whatever it was. When that motorcycle came in, they got that motorcycle. If in the interim, they changed their mind, they got their money back. We can't keep a deposit. I don't think it's legal. I don't think it's moral for sure. It's unprincipled. It's immoral. And I doubt seriously if it's legal. I really do. Now, if you sign a contract, these contracts are worthy, And in the contract someplace, it says your deposit is non-refundable. Well, so what? It's one thing if you put down money on a car and the car comes in and it's made special for you. And then it gets there, and you say, well, I don't want it. And and the deal is stuck with it. And he can't sell it a month or two months. Don't forget, he has to buy it or she has to buy it, pay for it. That's, that was my business. The motorcycle comes in. It's it's It gets there. You pay for it. You, know, you pay interest on it. If, if you don't have to come up with the cash until you sell it, you're still paying interest on it. But you can't just keep a deposit, especially when the demand outstrips the supply. And that's what's going on with Tesla. And they're keeping those deposits. And it's wrong. It's wrong. And it says to me, there's probably a deeper problem here. And I can tell you, from my experience, going down and test driving, and I I didn't want it. I didn't want it for good reason. I spoke to my insurance agent. Assuring those things are, whoa, steep. There's other issues. It costs money to run and operate them. Oh, yeah, they're not going to tell you that. Sure, you can hook it up to the electric source in your house and plug it in at night. And if you have solar, it's even... Well, what about when you're on the street, when you're on the road? You've got to put your credit card in that machine. You've got to wait sometimes for all the, the electric cars in front of you. Maybe it's a faster charge on the road than it is in your house, which is, what, eight hours or more? But you don't care because you plug it in at 11 o'clock at night, and there it is, 6, 7 in the morning, it's all ready to go. And you don't need a full charge if you're only driving to work and back. So maybe you're going to drive 100 miles, plug it in again. Not a problem. But what about when you're on the road? You drive from San Diego to L.A. or to Vegas and you go, oh, I I need some gas. Now you you pull up, and there's a car or two at the charging station, and you got to wait, and you put your credit card in. It's not free. And the quicker charges cost more money. They don't tell you that. There's a lot of things they don't tell you. And when you have to bring it in for a repair, you can't just take it anyplace. you got to go back to Tesla. The signals that they're... Business practices are not as clean and principled as they should be. I know a lot of people complain about Harley dealers, about this or that, but I can tell you this. After 27 years as a dealer, and I've fought with Harley on every front. I won't even go into it now, but I will. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you the fights that we had, fights over different brands, the, the Buell. Yeah, San Diego Harley-Davidson was the, like the number one Buell dealer in the country. We were always in the top 10, mostly in the top two or three, and mostly number one, I think, for the, for the years, at least three or four. Anyway, we had arguments and fights over the fact that this is an American brand, made in America, right here, manufactured, all kinds of issues and fights. But I'll tell you one thing, Harley-Davidson corporate never lied. Never lied to me, not once, okay? Of all the fights and all the arguments and all the things they did that I did not agree with, and there were plenty, they never lied. The integrity of the company, I i got to say, I got to give them, a, well, you got to give them a 99, okay? There's Nothing's 100%, but it's right up there. And as soon as I saw that Tesla keeps deposits, I'd like to know, How many people test drive and sign that thing because they just throw it around? Oh, yeah, just sign here. Oh, yeah, we'll take care of the financing. We'll take care of it. Oh, it's all done. It's so simple. The car will be here in three months. Let you know uh, a few days before. Come and pick it up and get it. and Boom, it's so easy. and What if you change your mind? What if you go back and then find out that, hey, the insurance is a lot? And then you hear a few horror stories about batteries that blow up when bad or electrical systems that didn't work. And you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. what am I getting into here? I don't think I want that. Why can't you change your mind? They have people standing in line waiting for that car. They, They didn't lose anything because you didn't get the car. It's just wrong. I had to say that because I think it's important to talk about it. I want to talk about two other things that are pretty important to me I got this note. I I talk about God a lot, and I get a lot of flack and feedback. Some of it's good. The flack isn't good. (laughs) And most of the flack revolves around some of the scandal that we've seen about priests, mostly priests, in the church over the last how many years? molesting kids and doing horrible things, and it's horrible, and I'm not making light of any of it. I just read something from Father Joseph Krupp, and he's on Twitter. I got this from my friend Robert Patrick, and I don't know this man, but it was such an interesting read. This is so important for us who believe in really the overall goodness of man, and What Joseph Krupp writes about Monsignor Easton, he says, Monsignor Easton took me for a walk one day when I was in seminary. I was so angry at the church and sick of all the dirty games that I just decided to pack my stuff and give up. He showed up at my door and took me for a walk. He listened to my sad story, and he hurt with me. Then he told me about his experience of being betrayed by the church. It was an awful story. He had only been a priest two years when his bishop threw him under the bus in the worst way possible. We cried together, frustrated at the wickedness of it all. Then he stopped the walk and made me look at him. He told me that the stories were terrible, but in the end, they have nothing to do with the only question that mattered. Am I called to be a priest? He told me how long he'd been a priest and he didn't need to tell me he loved it. I knew He then said, my goal for the next few days was not to discern whether I could serve as a priest in a broken church, but to discern whether God was asking me to be a priest. If God was, I need to be faithful and joyful in that mission. I prayed and the answer was clear to me. God was calling me to be a priest. That happened in 1995, and every day I thank God for that moment. I send this tweet as a fat, happy priest filled with gratitude that I get to serve this way. After my ordination, he and I flew to a pilgrimage to Our Lady of Guadeloupe to thank God for getting me ordained over the next many years whenever I was lost or unsure what to do. I called him and he helped. He was wholly funny, wise, and ridiculously prayerful. His death was a shock. Walking out of mass, he fell over dead. That was it. He goes on. I guess the idea is that the way that the good overcomes the bad is when each of us are just faithful to whatever our mission is—that we do the right thing. He just there's people out there in in every facet of life, whether it's your job, your industry, your socials. If you're honest and true, that's all that counts. Yeah, there's scandals everywhere. And I just think that don't let it stop you from believing in the things that are important for you to believe in. And the last thing I want to talk about is a friend of mine wrote a book. And I'm trying to think of how to put this into words. But I want to talk about this book, and I want to talk about this friend. The book is How to Rally. You can get it on Amazon. How to Rally. And I'm going to have my friend Richie Ader on on the podcast. I just didn't have time to do it this quickly. Didn't realize how this book would affect me after I read it. And I, I want to talk about it for a minute, especially going into the new year. I have a lot of friends of mine that write books and do things that are not just spiritual, but guys like Jay Redman, guys like Team Never Quit, guys who were, you know, mostly most of my friend the, the military guys. I mean, there's Gary V, who I follow, who's who's great. If, if you want to follow someone on Instagram, he's gonna make you feel good about. It. So much that you don't feel good about, whether it's Redmond or the other guys. They're giving us things to make us feel better, optimistic, motivate us, inspire us to do things in life. And they're all important. I'm behind every one of them. I salute every one of them. I appreciate every one of them. Jay Redmond's Monday muster. (laughs) For me, it's a must. It's great. I love the country. I believe in God. I believe in America. I've had obstacles in my life. Some of them I've overcome. Don't forget, you overcome them, but sometimes, you know, first they beat the living hell out of you. It's hard. They beat you and they knock you, but it's like they say, it's not whether you get knocked out, it's whether you get back up. And so all these things, especially like the team never quit, guys. Man, they get guys on their podcast. They get guys... And, and women, men, the, the stories are just incredibly inspiring and motivational. So I knew that Richie wrote the book. I spoke to him a, a couple of months ago, and he told me it's coming out. I've known this guy for a long time, since the 70s. And the book came two days ago. I got home at 530, and there's the book, and it's a small book. It's not a big book. It's uh, 150 or 60 pages out. And it was there. And I go, oh, good. I I get to read Richie's book. And I I spoke to him. And I know what he's going through. And he he told me the book talked about the obstacles in his life and how to rally. And he used that term because Richie is a tennis player. He's a big-time tennis player. He loves tennis. (laughs) And he's a fierce competitor. Trust me on that. In everything he does. And I didn't even realize it. When I got home, I'm, I'm eating dinner. The first thing I do, I pick up the book, and I start reading. I think, yeah, I'm going to read the flap. I'm going to read the intro. The intro is by Patrick McEnroe, by the way. And as I'm reading, I go, wow, this is pretty really cool stuff. I didn't realize this. And I read a little bit more, a little bit more. And then I have dinner, and I talk to Petrina and the mom, and I, I, I get right back to reading the book. And I couldn't stop. I got home at 5.30. I finished the book at 11.30 at night. Actually, it was 11.36. <laughs> I looked down because I had, Richie lives in New York. And I, I just had to text him to tell him. But w- what Richie has overcome, and Richie's the message in this book, you want to read. It. He, yeah, Richie was one of the guys, and, and he's in his late 70s. Um, I, I used to play tennis with Richie back in the 70s. And tennis was new to me. I grew up playing handball and it was something I always wanted, but living in Brooklyn, he just didn't have a lot of tennis courts and the ability to play tennis around. One of my sports heroes, even if I didn't play at the time, was Pancho Gonzalez. He was on the cover of Wheaties. He was just that cool dude with a tennis racket. And I was fascinated. So Picked up the sport in my 20s and and got fairly good, joined the club, met a bunch of guys who were way better than me. They became kind of friends and they were willing to play and I got on the call with them. And Long story longer, one of them was Richie who was probably the top of the better players who didn't play since he's 10 years old (laughs) and picked up the sport also later in life. But Richie was a a great college basketball player, played for the University of Vermont, and he's in their Sports Hall of Fame, and a a fantastic athlete. When he got into tennis, it was just like he was obsessed with it, and he still is to this day, to this minute. And he was willing to, and then some of these other guys, to play with someone who was not, not nearly as good year after year until I got almost as good. (laughs) <laughs> it got better than some of them, and and it, it was great. But Richie, being on the other side of the court from that guy, not because he had the biggest serve in the club. He did. But it was because of the intensity. <laughs> His intensity on the other side of the court was like, whoa, this guy is... It was great. So one day we, we were talking about business, and I told him what I was doing, and he said, Mike, it was... During the late 70s, when the peanut farmer was president, and I know, I don't like to mention this, you're getting gas for your car, you're standing in you know, a mile of cars waiting to get to the gas station. Everything was upside down. Inflation was crazy. I don't think it was as crazy as it is right now today or where it's going quickly, but it was really bad. We hadn't seen anything like that. And the interest rates, I know interest rates are going to go up a little bit, but they went up to, like, I think it was 21% at the height. And I was doing real estate deals, mostly at Kennedy Airport. And we couldn't do anything. Business just stopped. Nobody could build a building. I had tenants. I had airlines and freight folks and truckers that wanted a building. They were ready to sign a lease. and I couldn't get the builder to build the building because they couldn't borrow the money to build the building because they couldn't afford 21%. And I was talking to Rich, and he told me, Hey, I do sell leasebacks. I, why didn't you tell me that? And I'm boom. And we started doing business. And it was great. The guy was a, a, a mentor. Now, look, I brought him some good business. Don't get me wrong. But I was not the sharpest knife in that drawer when it came to this high-level, high-end stuff. But he mentored me through the process. And he was great. He was head of the real estate department for for a really big warehouse. And he did it. well. That business came to an end with Teffert when that passed in 86 and I came out here three years later and sold my business and everything else and lost track of friends so I'm reading this book Richie's going through horrendous heart issues that have been with him since 2018 and his book basically is how to rally and I thought I was going to read a tennis book about how to rally. And I knew it was going to be some overcoming stuff. But what he put in that book is just how to rally in life. I didn't realize what he went through as a kid. I didn't realize that his his dad died at 53 when Richie was 15. And the things that caused it, how he overcame that, and the family issues, and what they lost, and how they fought. My God, it was amazing. And I knew this guy... For years, for like 10 years, we were close friends, business associates, played tennis once or twice a week sometimes. But I never knew all this stuff. And, and I, I knew his mom. I mean, she was great. I remember Mrs. Ada. Fantastic lady. Funny as hell. But I didn't know what they had gone through. And then I didn't realize that from 86, when the, that whole tax shelter business went away, until 89, when he formed his company, Realty Advisors. And that company has taken off to be one of the top real estate development companies doing net leases. And he's the net lease giant because he made himself that. And he talks about how he did it. Had no idea. And it was so inspirational, not just because of what he did but what he's doing now and how he relates back to how he always did what he had to do to overcome these obstacles that beat the hell out of him. And he applies the same principles, the same drive, the same work ethic to his recovery from this horrible heart condition. And this guy, he's an athlete. He's always been an athlete. He, he competed with some of the best in the world and stayed in shape all his life, did all that, but worked hard. And I knew that Richie was a hardworking guy. I knew that he, he was obsessed with tennis, so he always did everything he needed to do to get better. And, but I didn't realize just how much. I didn't realize what he did to do all that. I want to say the sacrifice. But the way he puts it in that book, it wasn't a sacrifice. Hey, this was important. This is what he prioritized. So what he did was more important than those things that he didn't do that he could have done, whether it was going on big vacations. And I mean, he was always very successful. But it's just a great read because everything is applied to his recovery and how he's applying The same ideas, the same mindset, his mindset to recovering from this horrible heart situation where he has things implanted in him and he has to be everywhere he goes. He has to have a 12-town battery pack. He talks about how he builds his team. Now, going back, I realize... He was always that team builder. When he worked at the warehouse, they, they called his team, because he was head of real estate, Aiders Raiders. And I never thought about it the way he built that team. And he talks about the importance of building the team and how to do it. And he's doing it with his medical team. And these aren't people that work for him. He finds the best doctors, the best therapists, the, the best trainers. He's training all the time. This guy's in his late 70s. He has a heart condition that would put anybody on their back because you don't need an excuse. You could just sit there, sit in a chair, watch television, get on your computer, do things. And, and at that part of life, he refuses to accept defeat. He's going to compete against himself. The way he talks about, he said, I want my doctors to look at me as like the, Best patient they have. I don't know these other patients, but I'm competing against every one of them. I loved reading about that. It was such an insight. An insight because this is how he was all his life, and I never realized it. This is what he was doing. It's like, yeah, that's why he did that. That's how he did this. And he's applying it to recovery. And in this life, we know so many people recovering from heart conditions, cancer, and guys coming back with wounds, guys like Jay Redman, who came back unbelievably, amazingly from being shot, wounded, so terrible, so bad, it's amazing he survived. And I love reading about his overcome army and how he does it. But the insight that I got from Richie Ather's book, How to Rally, the insight that I got was just something that inspired me to a different level in a different way, maybe open my eyes to things. By the way, not that I don't feel like I've done the same things and similar things. It's just that I never identified them the way he identifies each and every aspect of and how he analyzed his mindset and how I can read it and say, yeah, I'm doing that. Yeah, but maybe not as well as I can, or maybe not as well as I should. So I just wanted to end the year that has been tough for all of us financially and with the inflation and with the rules, the regulations and the COVID. Look, I I lost one of my closest friends on earth to COVID this year. Bob Agnes. Tough. He's a guy I think of every day. There's not a, a day that goes by because I used to speak to Bob almost every day since 1968. And I would never expect him to pass and I, I I know COVID is real and I know this is not a game and something we should play with. But I also know that this government isn't the answer. So if there is an answer, it's within each and every one of us. It's what Richie Ada shows me in in this book, guy I've known for all these years and never really knew. Until I read this and said, wow, what an inspiration to everything. The one thing we can all do is do what it takes to be strong, to be resilient, to know that whatever comes along, whatever happens, we're going to be ready for it. We're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. We're not going to slow down. We're going to double down. We're going to keep on fighting with every breath in us. And I want to thank, again, not only Richie Ada, but everybody out there that has continues to inspire me and give me the inspiration that let me look at them and say, wow, that's the example I want to follow. That's the leader that I want to follow because we all have that. We all have the ability to build a team around us of people that we trust, people we look up to, people we could lean on, even if they don't realize it sometimes, people that just set that example. And that's what I hope for all of us in 2022, that we could lean on each other, that we could fight with the will to win, the mindset that this is the best country in the history of civilized mankind, that we are blessed to be here, and it's worth fighting for, each of us, because you fight for yourself, you build up your strength individually, and that is going to be the composite of what America is. America, let's make it. And keep it great. I love all of you guys out there. I want to wish everyone a great, happy, healthy, fabulous new year. And I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Roll Right Radio Podcast. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.